You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring in news, interesting topics and interviews with people, mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 307. I'm your host, András Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hello! Hey, son! Hey, son! How are you guys? Happy New Year, everyone! Oh, yes! Yeah. New Year! First show for 2022! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have completed yet another round around that little medium-sized star of ours. Yeah. So, um... Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Another round around the local light bulb. Yeah. And uh, we survived it. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Oh. Frohes mm. Neues Jahr. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, how have you spent it? I mean, the, the, the transition to the new year. Any, anything special? Mm, no, I don't think so. Quiet celebrations as it is nowadays. Mm. You don't meet in big crowds. One year after they started to vaccinate us, we're still living under this scourge. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, even yeah. the S- Swedish king and the Swedish queen has been diagnosed with COVID. Oh, they are fine, things. they say, but it just came out earlier today that they are, have tested positive. And, uh, you know, and I met a, a friend just yesterday at the store. He said his, their family spent all, all the holidays, uh, locked in because they had covid and uh, they were okay i mean that's the good thing with this omicron variant it seems like it's rare that you get really bad symptoms but still it's very easily transmissible right you're so like one person who who has it just looks at you and then you got it as well so (laughs) right so should we turn our cameras off then yes yes please (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think the problem is also that Omicron presents more false negative rapid tests. Yeah. Um, the data for that is um, oh, pretty new still, but it seems to be the case that yeah. mm-hmm. um, the, the rapid tests can't pick up all the Omicron yeah. viruses or are not as sensitive for that. And To be honest, the lateral flow tests are not very sensitive anyway. No. Yeah. They, have, they haven't been good to begin with, but now yep. it's even worse yeah and uh, i i have to tell you i was on a tour for new year's eve and on the 27th when we left the country we had to test everyone on the go actually what happened we had this um arresting area on the motorway and we pulled out with the with the, the bus and a guy came up and tested everyone so we spent two hours there and turns out one of the passengers was positive <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, wow. So that was a very weird feeling. I'd had a weird feeling about the whole tour, actually. I was concerned that we are traveling through Italy. Italy was going through, it has been going through a very tough time with regards to the number of daily new cases, right? Mm. And there were more and more restrictions uh, implemented as the time drew near. Turned out that we had to trust everyone. And this woman turns out to be positive and... Everyone had a little bit of a feeling in the back of our heads that she just had spent about three hours sitting on the bus as we got here. So we were all wearing masks, but then, and then we got to the place, we did go through the whole program. Hang on, did you kick her off the bus? Yes, yes. 
I had to. Uh, okay, so good. we took took her to the nearest <laughs> railway station, and then that was about it for her. One way Poor ticket thing. home. Yeah. Yes, and why I, I wanted to mention this is because of the the lateral flow test. She had done three tests over the week of the Christmas weekend mm-hmm. at home that she had bought at a pharmacy, and they all came out negative. And then. The fourth one was the one that came out yeah. positive. Yeah. And then we went went down to Italy, where we, we went through the whole program with no real terrible glitches. But on New Year's Eve, when everyone was supposed to have a party, party, party kind of thing, we had a very good band at the hotel restaurant, really good food. And then the announcement was made that nobody is supposed to have a party, so... Nobody's nobody's dancing. Everyone just <laughs> sits tight at the <laughs> their tables and listen to the very good music. It's it was really good music for dancing. <laughs> so <laughs> that was like people were so mad, but I told them that this is for all of our sakes. Yeah. And by the way, I decided to ease up the tension a little bit by singing a couple of songs. Oh, good. Then everybody went home and everybody went home and nobody had a problem with not being able to party. Yeah, that's uh, that that was the idea. That was the idea. Off the record, if you're interested, I'll I can I can show you the recording at some point. Ooh, yeah, Yeah. very good. We'll do it. That'll be an extra (laughs) special bonus for our patrons. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, I don't think I did a terrible job. Whatever. I'm sure you didn't. So, uh, how are things in Aust- Australia, Annika? Hot, hot, hot? Good. Is um, it terribly hot there? Well, it's not that hot, actually. I mean, we're in Armidale, which is in the mountains. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, we always joke that we sometimes actually have German temperatures here. Mm. <laughs> so, the other day, it was like 12 degrees, and I called my mom, and she was like, yeah, it's 12 degrees in Germany right now, too. <laughs> so, that was a bit weird. Oh, funny. No, no, it's, the earth is flat. You know, so that's yeah, the same exactly. temperature all over. No, yeah, actually, why I'm not be, in yeah. Australia. You know, I'm just faking it. <laughs> 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 no, um, usually it is it is warm, but there are colder days in between, uh, which is okay because then you have like a little mm-hmm. rest. Yeah, it's it's good and it's nice. It's just like a bit worrying that case numbers here are surging too. Although it's summer here, so yeah. like from yeah. in Germany, it's usually better in summer with everyone outside. But just, that doesn't seem to keep, be the case uh, with Omicron here. Mm. So, no. yeah, we'll right. see uh, how we get through Sydney when we, when we head back. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, hopefully good. I mean, it, it's in Europe, it's crazy as well. Of course, here is, yeah. it's winter. But I don't think you can just blame it on that. I just read today that France is expecting the number of daily cases to reach half a million soon so there are 250,000 and they are increasing so that is unbelievable numbers yeah here in Hungary everyone have been saying in the last couple of months that Orban would not go for mandatory wearing of masks outside because it's election year so he he would not do that turns out that from next week on it will be mandatory to wear a mask even outside wow this is how bad the situation is Uh, All right, but what can we do? (laughs) Omicron is on the rise, right? Talking about things on the rise. Ooh, good segue. (laughs) Over Christmas, 
That was a really big thing, a really big hit for the European Space Agency, lifting that thing up off the Earth. I'm talking about the Ariane 5 rocket that launched uh, the James Webb telescope from French Guiana. And the rocket did such a good job in placing the telescope on its orbit, uh, on its way actually, that eventually it had to use a much shorter burn for the adjustment of the trajectory, which is brilliant because it turns out that it was like one third or one or, or half of the time that it was supposed to have the burn on. We're talking about hours. And yeah. uh, instead of that, it saved a lot of fuel. So now researchers are saying that it could mean that instead of the five to ten years of the lifespan that they, it's supposed to have in that very harsh environment, it could be significantly higher than those ten years, which is amazing. Imagine that. Well, that's if all good goes news. well. That's yeah. So well done, European Space Agency <laughs> with that Ariane 5. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm, I'm a little bit partial to ASA. Okay. <laughs> there were more organizations involved, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, NASA, it's, 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 a NASA, it's a NASA spacecraft, actually. But yeah, it wouldn't have been up there without uh, Europe's uh, Ariane 5. Guys, I just went through a couple of the things that are supposed to happen this year in space exploration, and it's absolutely amazing. Did you know that there was... ESA is sending a mission that is called JUICE to the the Jupiter area, Jupiter and its icy moons. It's really Mm -hmm. amazing. Those are really amazing satellites, Ganymede, Europa, Mm. and Callisto. And especially Europa with the icy surface. And it will yeah. it will go up in May 2022. And uh, it will be traveling for seven years. Like, And the ExoMars rover, Rosalind Franklin, is supposed to launch in September. So there are very good things in the making with the involvement of European Space Agency. So, yeah, well done. Go space. Go space and go ESA. Annika, you were not there with us, were you? When we went to, was it in uh, Darmstadt? When Susan Gerbic, Mark Edwards and uh, Lyubo Baburov and myself were on a a tour after the European Skeptics Congress, we went to the European Space Agency's control centre, which was absolutely amazing. That was so brilliant. (laughs) I will not and never forget it. That was thanks to Lyubo, by the way, who's the organiser, the chief organiser of Ratio. Where you had spoken as well, Pontus. I did. I did. You, together, you and together with Jelena. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we had a session, a, a discussion about measles because being naive at the time, we thought that was the big, uh, scary virus <laughs> that we should fight. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. we will. We will. And we will have to. And uh, we will again, still have to. Soon, yes. 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 Yeah, yeah, it doesn't mean that. Yeah. Yeah. Omicron doesn't yeah. mean that anything else went away. No, that's Unfortunately true. Unfortunately not. Yeah. yeah. Okay. One more housekeeping thing to do before we move on mm-hmm. to the the rest of the show. Two corrections that I have to make. First, I'd like to mention that on the Christmas episode, I was talking about a buck and I, well... Yeah, actually, I mentioned it first, I think. I, send, us, send us your bucks, I said, and then I didn't know yes. what the buck meant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, misremembering, <laughs> identified it as the beaver pelt, which is not the case. It, it was a very, very silly mistake for me because a buck refers to a hide of a deer, and it's very, very obvious because a buck, it's a male deer. 
it was a very, very silly mistake of me. So sorry about that. And thanks to Robin for correcting my mistake. That's good. Yeah. Good. And the other thing that I mistakenly said was that the beginning of the year being put to the 1st of January was thanks to the calendar reform of Gregory the 13th, which is not true, because it was Julius Caesar who did ah, that. So already in the Julian calendar, they've yes. moved it to the 1st of yes. January. That's yes, right. that's right. So, uh, yeah, this is why it's very useful to listen back to the episodes <laughs> that we do. And since since I'm... I've not been the the editor of the show who who does the the post production for a while. That's the way to to go about it because otherwise I would have picked it up before it goes out. Never mind. All right. So with all that out of the way, I think it's time for us to move on to the actual show. Let's start with Trish or this week in skeptical history. I've got a very lovely story for you today. It's the mm-hmm. anniversary of the Trans-en-Provence case, as it's known among ufologists and skeptics, and it happened on the 8th of January 1981. So what's what happened? There was a guy, <laughs> you know, it, oh, the story always starts with a guy. A guy by the name Renato Nicolai, a 55-year-old farmer from the southern French town of Trans-en-Provence, well, was minding his own business, doing some work in the garden, and then on the field, and then he heard a very strange noise coming from like a little road that was built to have access to the field. Well, it was like a whistling sound, and he went on to see what it was, and he saw a very weird-shaped object with about a diameter of about 2.5 meters, based on his estimates, and it was about 50 meters from him when it immediately took off and flew away absolutely silently. Based on his reports, the object left burn marks on the ground and some very weird round-shaped marks that were not perfectly round-shaped, but there was a curvature in them. The thing is that he never reported the case to authorities, but he went on telling the story to his wife... The wife didn't believe him, and he tried to persuade her and showed her the tracks. And when that happened, they went on to telling the the neighbors, and the neighbors persuaded them to report the case to the authorities. So they informed the local gendarmerie. I don't know how. Gendarmerie? It's much easier to pronounce it that way. It's local police. It's a local police, yes. Yeah, so they started investigating the case probably not taking him very, very, very seriously. But since 2007, there has been a legal obligation for authorities to report these kinds of incidents to an organization that is called CNES. The CNES is basically the French space agency. And within the French space agency, there is a department that is called GEPAN, or GEPAN, Groupe d'études des phénomènes aérospatiaux non identifiés. That's, uh, yeah, that's uh, what it's an abbreviation for. They had to put together a more thorough investigation. Unfortunately, 
a little while after the actual incident. So they were supposed to to go and investigate the thing about two days after the incident at at most. They waited a good 40 days. So, well, anything could could have happened um, by then. Never mind. And they came out with analysis that was very, very thorough regarding the tracks and that they identified the object's possible weight in the range of four to five tons. And they saw the burn marks and they said that it might have been caused by something heated up to 300 to 600 degrees Celsius. Well, all kinds of weird other statements. Sorry, did did they conclude that 40 days after the fact? Yes. So, um... Uh, okay. A little bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there is a Belgian skeptic, Jean-Michel Abrassard. Some of our listeners might know him. He wrote a very good analysis of the case, and he concludes, basically, based on some other skeptics' remarks on the issue, that the evidence that has been collected is very, very weak, and that the only eyewitness was this guy. So it was Nikolai who saw the whole thing and told the story. And when you see the actual pictures, you can see it on Wikimedia Commons, actually. And one of the pictures show the the marks that were supposed to be the ones left by the object. And it's just a circle. It's a circle that could have been caused by anything. Immediately, when I saw the picture, I, I thought, yeah, this could have been done by a wheelbarrow, right? So it's whatever. <laughs> so it's not not yeah. that big a deal, but it's still considered by many as one of the m- most well-documented UFO sightings ever with evidence that actually is there that something burnt up the soil. Not really. Yeah, so with critical investigations uh, going on as well and some skeptics assessing the available data and the available evidence, we can conclude that it's not as strong. So the Trans-en-Provence case is a very famous one and I I believe it did a lot of good to the number of visitors to that place. (laughs) But, But other than that, it doesn't hold much water. But the 8th of January marks the 41st anniversary of that event all right all right so uh with that i'm really interested in whether you've got something to poke the pope for pontus not so much actually today uh no pope today uh it's been the season for being all all jolly and spiritual and uh, there hasn't been too much scandals or news for frankie I, I just think he's been too busy to, to mess up. So we, uh, we'll save it for next week if something turns up. Okay. So that means that we are moving on to discussing the news. Yes. So regular listeners know that we are big fans of Retraction Watch. Yes. Which is the... Yes. <laughs> the yes, site yes. that... <laughs> The site that keeps track of all the discredited science studies and published papers that have turned out to be wrong or even fraudulent. I think that's a surprise to a lot of alt-med practitioners or or science deniers that we actually like this. According to many of those, they, they think that we skeptics are totally credulous and we have an almost religious belief in all things sciencey. But that's not the case, of course. What we put our trust in is the method 
the science mm-hmm. as a method. Yeah. And uh, a part of the method is to, to weed out all the bad science. And if a scientific paper has been de- discredited, it's very important that that becomes known so that everybody is aware of that. And that is what Retraction Watch does. It keeps record of every bad paper out there so that people can avoid citing them as correct or in their own research. So it's been a very busy year for Retraction Watch. During 2021, their database of retracted papers has passed through the 30,000 number, the 31,000 number, and even the 32,000 number. So that's the number of retracted papers that they have in their database at the moment. So it, it grew in one year with around 10%. And that's not a new trend. There's a steady Mm. increase of retractions ever since the beginning of Retraction Watch, which was in the year 2000. It's not just also in absolute numbers. The ratio of retracted reports of everything that's been published per year has increased 20 times between 2000 and 2018. And the reason they put 2018 as the end year is that the average time for for a paper to be retracted, if it is faulty, is uh, three years. So that's a good year to compare with. Okay, so why is this? And is it good or bad? And the answer is, of course, it can be both. Mm -hmm. There may be a trend that the quality of papers are getting worse. So so that's bad. And this could be because of there's a pressure to publish more and quicker which means that scientists take shortcuts. It could also be that the standard of the scientific magazines are getting worse so that they skip more of the peer review process that should take place and they just publish anything. It could also be a response to the practice of pre-publication, which has increased significantly over the years, especially now since the pandemic started. And the, the, the pre-publication is that you, you publish something before it's been peer-reviewed because the feeling is you have to get the data out quickly. And that is has been more prioritized more over the need to, to check it first. So they're all bad reasons. But it could also be a good thing that the number of retracted papers are increasing. Maybe Retraction Watch and services like that have contributed to finding more of the bad papers, making sure that they really are retracted when they should be. And that is what Retraction Watch is doing. But not just that. It's not just keeping a list over retracted papers. It also contacts magazines who have published questionable and bad papers, asking them why they haven't been retracted. And so sometimes somebody needs to act the police. It's not in the direct interest of the of the magazines to retract papers that looks bad for them. So Retraction Watch is keeping them at it and making sure that they do their job. So you may ask, is it good or bad? How bad is this? How big a percentage of all published reports get retracted? And, and can we even trust science? Question mark. Never. <laughs> Never. Yeah, that's right. In 2018, as I said, that's the last meaningful year to look at, 0.07% of all published papers have been retracted. So even after an increase of over 20 times, 99.93% remain on the record three years later. So that's not so bad. Mm -hmm. Maybe there are, and probably there are, 
more papers that should be retracted. But still, the scientific literature is pretty good when you look at it. And it is of high quality. And that has a lot to do with peer review in the first place. I'm pretty sure about that. So um, mm. that's that's a very good institution, generally speaking. Yeah, the actual implementation is not not always... Never, yeah, that's right. Very effective and not very good and not very impartial or, or things like that. But the idea is that the mistakes and the errors have to be weeded out before it gets published. Yeah. So, so the next time you hear people say that you can't trust science, they always retract papers, it's always bad, blah, blah, blah. Well, 99.93% of good reports is not a bad ratio. Yeah, and the reason why you can actually trust science is because when there is something that is not worth keeping there, then it retracts it. And it's yeah. a very healthy way of providing quality. So, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, talking about science and talking about how science is being trusted, I'm pretty sure that every country is now and will be suffering a lot from that issue in the coming months in the form of people not wanting to vaccinate. And a lot of countries yeah. are really struggling to get people on board with vaccinations. And one of them is the UK. And now they are so desperate that having had, well, almost two years of of running like a headless chicken and not doing much. I mean, the government is not. The NHS and the NHS workers have been doing an extraordinary job in trying to tackle the issue and try to tackle this, this whole pandemic situation, not getting very much help from the government. Turns out that Sajid Javid, the health minister, well, looks like he finally got the message, got the memo, and started to speak out against people who, who are not willing to vaccinate. And even Boris Johnson, Boris freaking Johnson, did mention this occasionally in speeches. And there was a big campaign that uh, marked the end of the year, like uh, the slogan was Jabby New Year, everyone. And they <laughs> they try to. It's a very catchy one. I think it's brilliant though. But the numbers are still not there, and they are now trying to figure out what the heck is going on, and uh, they are trying to commission um, research to find out why people are hesitant to vaccinate. There are still five million people in the UK who have not received a single dose. That's including a lot of people who could have received it a long, long time ago. So now they are trying to follow other countries. And as a comparison, they are considering following restrictions and making them even stricter for those who are not willing to vaccinate. Because the message that they're trying to send, and I've been waiting for this to happen, and in a lot of countries it was avoided, like, they didn't want to tell people to shut the fuck up, go and get vaccinated, because you are clogging up the system, you are making it more difficult for your own people, the people of your own country, and you are being a burden of the country itself and the whole economy and everything. So it is because of people like you that the situation is getting worse and we and, and is getting out of control. So this is a very clear message, finally, and 
I will be following that and see where it goes because it's a move that should have been done a long, long time ago. Speaking out clearly against that kind of attitude and calling out people for not being responsible citizens and not taking care of each other and their own families and their own selves, for God's sakes. Look at countries like Greece and France. They implemented uh, the COVID passport in July. Israel and Denmark adopted it as well. They they phased it out, but they, they brought it back. And Italy, as I mentioned earlier, they need you to have a proof of vaccination along with either a re- the proof of recovery or a negative test done within the last 24 or 48 hours, depending on whether you do an antigen test or a PCR test. They are doing it even, even stricter now. So every step on the way for my tour, we had to get our COVID passes, it's called Green Pass. <laughs> this is what they call it. Green Pass. You have to have it in your hands everywhere you go. So that's the way to go. Yeah. Yeah, I think vaccines and especially the booster is something that can keep health systems from collapsing. That's especially important now. Interestingly, About that, there was a study done by Austria and by the Austrian economy minister. And they found out that in Austria, the level of education is a big factor in the likelihood of being vaccinated. Mm -hmm. It was ordered by the minister Martin Polaschek. And they found out that for the 25 to 64 year olds, if you have a university degree, then 84% of the people were vaccinated. If you only have the lowest school degree, then 68% are vaccinated. So there is a difference there. There's also a difference between if you're working, 76%, or if you're jobless, 69%. And then there's also a huge difference between the area of your work. And that I found really interesting because Hmm. if you go for the information and communication sector, you have a likelihood of 85.4%. Whereas uh, if you work in constructions, then only 64.8% are vaccinated. Hmm. The health and social sector that lie in between with 78.6%. That's something I have to say, I would have wished that they would have been on top, the health and social workers. Uh Yeah. But apparently not. And what they also found out is that the older the people were, the more likely they were vaccinated, which also makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, a little bit um, deviating from the topic of the COVID-19. And uh, another pet topic was um, climate change. So the EU is uh, struggling to find its ways to fight climate change and to meet the climate goals of 1.5 degrees Celsius of an elevation of temperature compared to pre-industrial times. Uh, And now there are very interesting moves in the making. So the European Commission put together a plan that would label some gas power plants and nuclear power as green power. Mm. Before I go into a little bit more detail, I'd like to know what, what you think of this. My spontaneous reaction is that gas is very questionable, but Mm -hmm. nuclear I'm more on board with. I think, especially if we talk about the the new kind of nuclear reactors that can burn also the waste from the old type of uh, nuclear reactors. Yeah, they're usually called uh, the Generation 4. Yeah, Generation 4. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Annika, what's your take on this? Especially because your country is very deeply involved. Yeah, I'm I'm in between a bit, I gotta say. Because on the one hand, I do like nuclear. I, I feel like it is it is the future because it's so much safer than it was in Chernobyl's time or even before that. And we also, like, there's not really a way around it mm-hmm. because we need energy, but we also need this planet, duh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like nuclear is pretty much the way unless you want to put up uh, like a wind turbine every one kilometer, <laughs> mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. would be like the energy we need. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm like for nuclear, I probably wouldn't call it green energy still, mm-hmm. but gas is still fossil fuel for me, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it is. So the interesting thing is that it's supposed to tackle something that is called a greenwashing. And that is by some companies trying to get away with uh, very highly polluting technologies because Mm -hmm. they are labeled as somewhat green. The European Commission tries to make it absolutely clear what can be accepted as green energy. However, from one side, there is ongoing criticism that gas power is not really green because it's still, as you said, fossil fuel. And especially the production of it, the extraction of gas releases a lot of methane, which is an even, well, much, much stronger greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide is, uh, even though it doesn't linger that long in the atmosphere as Mm. carbon dioxide does. But still, and fracking is not a very clean technology, and that is a very frequently used technology to extract gas, natural gas. Now, the other thing is that we have lobbying groups. Different countries lobby for different things to be included in the Green Label group. So, for example, Germany, that is trying very hard to phase out nuclear power, they are arguing for gas power to be included and that nuclear power is absolutely not green because it has a well it it does have a lot of consequences if especially when you try to extract uranium it's not an easy job it's a very highly polluting job it's difficult and it requires a lot of energy as well but then there is an environmental impact of nuclear power as well because it heats up it uses a lot of water much more than other conventional power plants on the other side there is a country like uh, france that is the other like they are two very great economies and france has like 70 percent of their electricity production coming from nuclear power yeah they love nuclear oh yeah they absolutely do love nuclear (laughs) so so (laughs) we are we have a very interesting situation but there is a scientific side of this as well some argue that we cannot really avoid using nuclear in the short run at least because we have a lot of energy right here right now and the easiest one uh, thing to do is to literally bring up the ratio of nuclear power but on the other hand building nuclear power plants is not a short-term goal it's not it's not something that you do uh, you don't do that <laughs> overnight it takes it takes decades like 20 years sometimes, yes, exactly yeah. so it's 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 not an easy decision but 
we do know for a fact that uh, renewable energy sources will not be able to cover the needs, the increasing, very fastly increasing demand for electricity and electric power, especially with uh, the electrification of transportation and all that. So electromobility and house electricity and the industry will be very, very electric power hungry. So we cannot avoid using nuclear power. But on the other hand, gas-powered plants are very easy to adjust. And when you compare all the different fossil fuel sources, fossil fuels, natural gas is by far the cleanest. The lowest amount of carbon dioxide emitted as a result, it's like half the amount that a coal power plant emits. So when you think of an industrial management point of view, then you have to say that labeling it as clean energy and subsidizing it to accelerate the phasing out of coal power plants as well, it might be a solution that you want to go for, if not forever, but for the next decade or so. So it's an interesting discussion. I think there will be a lot of heated debates over this uh, within the EU. Well, (laughs) one one more thing. Uh, The German environment minister, Steffi Lemke, I think her name Mm -hmm. is, she said that it's just simply wrong to add nuclear energy to the green energy labeled group because of the environmental disasters and nuclear waste that it generates. And that's just playing for the for the people right for the public it's not being a responsible politician but that's right it's saying what the public wants to hear and that's ridiculous all right so um that has been all the news for the first episode of the of the year and uh, i would like to turn to the next segment when we find out who's been really wrong Right. So this is not actually a really wrong segment today. Okay. I'm just taking uh, the decision to change the name to a special report, maybe. <laughs> okay. So, uh, th- or maybe, maybe it's a really right. I don't know. Okay. L- let's see. I hope it's interesting anyway. This is about the prevalence of uh, conspiracy theories, superstition, and pseudoscientific beliefs. And, and as I said, maybe it's a kind of really right because the Swedish skeptics, uh, VOF, has published a large study analyzing the beliefs of the Swedish public. I don't want to call it really right, because then I'm calling myself really right, and that's not really <laughs> right. <laughs> but, <laughs> but anyway, whatever, it is interesting. And what we did, and as a president of the Swedish skeptics, VOF, I, I was highly involved, what we did was to do an even bigger follow-up of the so-called VOF study or VOF study from 2015. Listeners with very good memories may recall that we talked about this older study in our very first episode, episode number one, back Mm -hmm. in November 2015. Wow. And if you missed it, it's still online, of course, if you want to go back. Sorry, but generally speaking, don't listen to the backlog of our episodes too too much because you will lose interest. So... (laughs) (laughs) that's right we're not so proud over the first uh, couple of years but anyway uh, if you want to go back it's there so what the hell is a wolf study anyway so (laughs) 
Uh, in collaboration with the big survey company called Kantar, which is an international uh, company, you may have heard of it, we had 2,500 members of the Swedish public interviewed. They were selected by Kantar uh, to, as far as possible, be representative of the total population. And we asked them about everything they believe in. Everything from angels to UFOs to man-made climate change to 9-11 conspiracies. And if they thought the corona pandemic was somehow engineered by nefarious forces. We also asked about anthroposophy, organic farming, GMO. And, of course, whether the world is in fact governed by a secret Jewish organization. We had uh, in total 58 different questions and uh, then we presented them in the report in six different areas. About One is about environment, one is about mankind, medicine, knowledge, conspiracy theories and faith. The whole study report, which is a document of over 80 pages, is freely available online. Uh, together with a couple of extra tables uh, of raw data, which in themselves is tens of pages as well. Well, I think it's about 100 pages of raw data if you want to look into everything. You can find correlations, and you can find the detailed numbers. For now, of course, unfortunately, it's only available in Swedish, but we hope to produce an English version later on, just like we did in 2015. It took half a year then. I hope we can do it a little quicker then. The data is also analyzed by gender, age group, political affiliation, education level, the extent whether you or your parents were of foreign origin. A little bit controversial, that dimension, but we thought it was important. And also where you live, meaning if you live in a rural or urban area. So it's a treasure trove of information. And I must admit... I have studied this for several weeks now before we published it, and I still cannot say that I know all the details. But in general, I want to take you through what we found. Well, actually, the good news is that some results are not so bad. Confidence in vaccines is relatively high, and attitudes towards science is pretty good. But there are more worrying areas, like there are racist misconceptions in parts of the population, there are anti-Semitism, and there is also a lack of knowledge about what science is really all about. The level of education that people have seems to be associated with science denial and, and belief in paranormal phenomena. We'll get back to that later. There was one dimension that really sticks out, for example, when it comes to racism and belief in conspiracy theories. Do you want to guess which dimension is most divisive among the population? I'll give you some help. Okay. It's not a huge correlation when it comes to gender. Yeah. Even if there's minor differences. Where you live doesn't matter so much. So it's education level? Education is part of it. Age? The biggest part is not age either, it is political affiliation. Oh, uh, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. So right-wing followers of the Sweden Democrats tend to hold much more racist beliefs than others. We asked a couple of questions to tease that out, because you can't really ask, are you a racist? That people <laughs> yeah. won't be able to answer that. So w one question we asked was this, and I quote, Humankind consists of races with different inherited personality traits. Agree or disagree? 
and that's actually there's a scale so it's not just agree or not agree but there's a seven point scale there whether you agree or not the average was quite high in my opinion i think that was a little bit shocked about that so 17 percent agrees on this and agrees means that they answer five six or seven right Mm -hmm. out of one to seven but the Sweden Democrats was 47%. So it's 47 versus the average 17. Close to 60% of them also believe that the coronavirus was created in a lab. That's interesting. 20% of them agreed that, quote, the world is run by a small number of individuals collaborating in secret, end quote. That's 20% of them think that's true. So the Christian Democrats also stood out, not just about believing in God, of course, but also uh, believing in angels, not so strange, but also healing and uh, fate. They they are more fatalistic than other people, apparently. Okay. As I also mentioned, education levels influenced people's position. Yeah. Only 51% of people who only had the lowest level of education, which is the mandatory nine years of primary school, they agreed that uh, scientific methodology is the best way to understand the world. Whereas if you went to university, 83% of people who did that uh, agrees with that statement. The lowest level of education was also uh, correlated with being convinced that dowsing works. So 35% of people who only went to the first levels of school believe that water dowsing works, for instance. Mm-hmm. And the, the average is 20% of the Swedish population, which is still pretty high, I think. Mm-hmm. If you go back to the average Swede, I have some random facts for you. 12% thinks that Steiner schools are an important alternative to public schools. So anthroposophy is still pretty popular in Sweden, I would say. Then there's some in- interesting discrepancies in some areas. 12% of all women believe in astrology, but only 4% of men do. Wow. But okay. on the other hand, men believe more in UFOs than women do. So it's 19% versus 12%. It's more techie stuff, It's more right? techie, it seems yeah, yeah. like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> men like their toys, apparently. Uh, and when I say we asked about UFOs, we defined it as, do you believe in UFOs? Definition, has aliens visited Earth? Mm-hmm. So 19% of men believe that we've had visitations of of aliens on earth if we turn to some better news only three percent believe that 9-11 was orchestrated by the u.s government same percentage is valid for the statement that apollo 11 the landing on the moon was a hoax only three percent only one percent of the public are holocaust deniers of course except when you look at the sweden democrats when it's three percent so <laughs> it's a bit, I, I, I guess I could go on, but we will link to this report. And I, I think you can come pretty far with Google Translate if you don't understand Swedish. And as I said, we, we are going to produce an English version. I'll let you know as soon as it's uh, available. Mm-hmm. So obviously this applies to Sweden only. I doubt it's very different from, from the rest of Europe, but of course it could be, and I would love to see similar surveys being done in, in other in other countries. My question is, who came up with the ideas regarding of what to ask the people? So did you put together the questions, I mean the organization, or it was the company who suggested what questions are to be asked? 
No, the, the questions are ours. Okay. Uh, it's the Swedish skeptics that mm-hmm. we came, and we based them on the last report, mm-hmm. which at the time we came up from scratch. This time we looked at those questions and we realized, we actually realized that already last time after we had the results that some of the questions were not very well formulated. It is very difficult to put the right questions and That's you can right. debate it forever. You can debate it forever. I think this time around, we did a much better job. We had more people involved. We we weighed every comma <laughs> <laughs> to be as precise as, as we could. Of course, you could always criticize some of the questions. You could always do a better job, but I think we came pretty close this time. Mm-hmm. And it is very, very interesting to look at all of these correlations. We have all of this, as I mentioned, the raw data is available. Well, not the individual answers, obviously, because those are confidential, but the number of people being asked, how, how, what was the correlation? What was the significance? We have two different tables, one showing the, the significance at 1% level and, and 5% level. So you can see the differences. And uh, yeah, there are thousands of numbers to, to run through. The report as such, the first one, you well, the main one that you download, is it, everything is presented in graphs. So it's hopefully pretty easy to digest, but it's still, it's still 80 pages. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool. Really cool. Hmm. So you you went back and forth with the with the company who did who did it and adjusted it accordingly. So based on based on their suggestions and the things that you wanted to figure find out. Yeah, yeah. So we started with as I said, we started with the questions from last time, which we which we did with another company. Okay. And then we so decided it wasn't the to, same company. It wasn't the same company. Mm-hmm. So we started with those, and we had an internal working through of those. And then we had several meetings with Kantar, the, the company. Yeah, yeah. And we l- listened to their input. We changed a few things. Then we came up with our own changes as well. You could do that a lot, many times. Yeah. And so we really worked through that hard. And then, then they did all the interviewing and we increased, we paid extra to, to increase the, the study to 2,500 people, which is more than you really need, but that meant we could go down to the 1% significance level in most cases. Mm-hmm. And then Kantar did all the statistical analysis, mm-hmm. making sure what was in within, what which numbers were significant or not. And then also they helped us with the charts, and then we reviewed it. Reviewed it. it took months <laughs> to do it, all of this. And then uh, I'm very happy to say that we managed to get it out and we also got a, a quite a, a good response from the media from the press we uh-huh. managed to get into the, most of the the big newspapers and i really cool. i've heard my wife said that somebody on her job started to talk to her about it not knowing that i had been involved so yeah it i i think we really reached out to at least part of the public about this it's wow. really cool congratulations congratulations it's just yes. it's a <laughs> And it's a huge job. I mean, it's a massive amount of work. Mm. Really good. And yeah, I can't wait to see the, the the English transcript of it. And especially if you reveal some of the, the actual questions, which we will you will obviously do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's how you of course <laughs> how yeah. you make it public. That could be used by others as well. Yeah, standing yeah. on the shoulder on the shoulders of giants. Yeah, we will. Yes, <laughs> yes, sir. 
<laughs> so it, it, of course it's costly thing. It uh, yeah, costs course. us, uh, I think, about sixteen or seventeen thousand euros to mm-hmm, do this, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that even with all of our own work being yeah. uh, volunteer basis. Yeah, yeah. So so it's uh, we can't do this every year, and I don't think you need to do it every year because I don't think it changes so much. But we, you can add things that are more current, like mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. of course in twenty fifteen we didn't ask about the coronavirus but now we have those questions was it produced in a lab was it intentionally leaked are the do the corona vaccine contain secret uh, substances to control the population (laughs) things like that we could ask that now yeah yeah okay really cool really cool so again congratulations pontus and uh thank you well good job and that marks the end of our show but before we go we have to have a quote. Yeah, and the quote this week comes from Mark Linus, born 1973, British science journalist. And I think we all met him at a conference, didn't we? We all met him and we almost interviewed him as well. Yeah. At one point. <laughs> almost, but, uh, yes. it didn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And the quote is, as it goes, we cannot criticize global warming skeptics for denying the scientific consensus on climate when we ignore the same consensus on both the safety and the beneficial uses of nuclear power and genetic engineering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just true. <laughs> Going back to the discussion about uh, nuclear energy and, and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very fitting. A very fitting quote for today. But that really marks the end of our show. So this occasion of our first show of 2022, I'd like to thank both of you, Onika and Pontus, for joining me today. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Many thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Vislat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe You're listening to the ESP. The year. <laughs> what? I don't know. What happens? Okay, Brian, come back. Everything is forgiven. Sorry, I was French. Say it again, monsieur. So. <laughs> en français, s'il vous plaît. The 43rd. 41st? Is that a 41st? Okay. 41st. Yeah. For, for, 41st? 41st. <laughs> I think it's 41st, yeah. 41st, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay.
<laughs> Do they really call it Green Passe? That doesn't sound Italian. Green Pass. Green. Oh, they tried to say it in, in English. Yes, then. it's called because, Green because, Pass. Okay, because green in Italian is verde, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. but it's because it's, a, it's the European. Ah, uh, okay, okay, okay. Mi scusi, mi scusi. I'm sorry, Annika. Maybe <laughs> you need to start over. Maybe you need to start over. When we come to some gooder, uh, gooder. Uh, uh, wow. Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> gooder. Well, 